Well, we are working our way through the book of Daniel, and we have reached our final sermon of Daniel for the summer, uh, and, and next week we will begin uh, a new uh, Stan Gale will actually be preaching next week uh, out of 1 Peter, and then we will begin preaching the week after that in Psalms and Proverbs for the summer, and we will return in September with Daniel chapter 7. But when we ended last week, we were right at the peak, right at the climax, right at Daniel being cast into the lion's den. And so we continue this morning with Daniel chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 16 and go to the end, verse 28. If you don't have a Bible with you but would like to follow along, you can look in the seat in front of you. Underneath, you'll find a Bible there, and you can find our passage in that Bible on page 744. Daniel chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. <clears throat> I wanted to begin this morning before we look at what happens in the lion's den um, I want us to just look at the very end here, this verse 28, because when we see verse 28, we see that, that Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian, and when we think about the timeline of history, what that tells us is that Daniel has been and stayed in Babylon a long, long time. Daniel 
remember, was exiled into Babylon at around age 14. That was in 605 B.C. Cyrus conquered Babylon in 539 B.C., which means that Daniel was cast into the lion's den at around 80 years old. Sometimes we think of Daniel in the lion's den, we picture a young man in with the lions, but he was an an 80-year-old man thrown to the lions. Essentially, what we get in the Bible and in Daniel are snapshots of his life. But if we think about all of the time that progressed throughout his life, we see that that despite these, these quick snapshots, he was basically serving in Babylon for at least 66 years, doing largely everyday and mundane things. Yes, he was serving kings. He was serving Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and later would serve Darius. But, but what we see are, are really just glimpses when he, when he interprets the writing on the wall or he interprets Scripture or we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace and come out alive. These are, are bare glimpses, just moments, flashes in these guys' lives. Daniel 4, for instance, ends with Nebuchadnezzar still alive, and Daniel 5, the very next chapter, opens with a man named King Belshazzar ruling. What Scripture doesn't tell us is that approximately 23 years passed during that time, during the time that Nebuchadnezzar died and Cyrus took over, which was right after the writing on the wall, 23 years had passed. And during that time, Daniel from the time he was about 57 or 58 till the time he was around 80, basically fell into obscurity. If you remember, Belshazzar had to be reminded of who Daniel even was. He didn't, had never heard of this man. Daniel, it seems, fell into obscurity and, and just watched as, as Babylon kind of floundered and, and fell from the position of power it once had. I I point this out for a couple of reasons. One is just to point out that that I think when, again, when we read Scripture, Scripture doesn't give us every moment of of everyone's life. Scripture gives us only what it wants. God tells us moments in people's lives that He wants to tell us for our own spiritual growth and edification. But I think when we read Scripture, we can get the opinion that that some of these heroes of the Bible just lived a life filled with one mountaintop experience after another. That simply isn't the case. Most, the vast majority of Daniel's life was spent simply serving where God had placed him, doing what God had called him to do. You see, for, for much of our lives, Christian, much of our lives, those of us in this room, our lives are going to be filled largely with the everyday, with the mundane tasks of everyday life. And and Daniel's last 23 years, between the death of Nebuchadnezzar and the writing on the wall, he was spent, who knows what he was doing? Again, falling into obscurity. I don't know where God has called you to serve him right now. 
For most of you, that's probably a normal, everyday job. Some of you may be working at a a 40-hour-a-week job that you hate, going to an office job that you never planned on landing in as your dream of being a professional baseball player fell by the wayside. Some of you may be in between jobs, wondering where God's going to put you next. Some of you are doing what I've been told is the most thankless job in the world, a stay-at-home mom. No matter where you've been called, God has called you there. He's called you there, and your service to him there is all that matters. Charles Spurgeon says this, serve where he set you. Potters were among the ranks of manual workers, but the king needed potters, and therefore they were elevated to royal service, although the material upon which they worked was nothing but clay. In the same way, we also may be engaged in the most menial part of the Lord's work, but it is a great privilege to do anything for the king. And therefore, we will play our part, hoping that although we live among the pots, we will start in the service to our master. There is no ideal place for us to serve God except the place he sets us down. Secondly, though, I point this out because Daniel, again, lived until at least 80 years old. And when we look at his life and we see that For a long time, there was nothing relatively exciting happening in his life. We see that until God calls you home, Christian, he still has work for you to do. Daniel's life basically started out with a bang, if you will. I mean, he was led away at age 14. It was a horrible thing to go through, but immediately he was placed into the halls of power. He served for most of his life under the greatest king of Babylon at his right hand. From 60 to 80, who knows what he was doing? You may, you know, maybe Daniel thought occasionally, why am I still here? Why is God leaving me here? I don't know. Knowing Daniel's character, maybe he wasn't thinking those things, but he was human. You know, we live in a society that basically worships youth. If we watch commercials or ads, YouTube ads, whatever, you may think that life, real life, is between 18 and 35. And after that, you know, you might as well pack it up. (laughs) I mean, when I see ads for older people, pretty much the only thing you see being advertised for older people are products that make you younger. I mean, our society worships youth. You see, for Daniel, although he was sinking into obscurity, at age 80, God was not finished with him yet. In fact, the thing that Daniel is most known for, when you say the name Daniel, All the amazing things that he did, the thing that he is most known for is the thing that he did at the end, being willing to sacrifice his life in the lion's den. Christian, if God hasn't called you home yet, he isn't finished with you yet. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what faculties you have lost. I don't care what status you have lost. I don't care how far you have physically fallen from your glory years. Until God calls you home, he still has work for you to do. 
I remember Michelle and I visiting a woman in our church in Maryland named Erlene. I don't know how old she was. Michelle and I were young. Uh, she uh, and I both in our 20s. And we would go visit Erlene. I, I'm assuming she was probably in her 80s. She couldn't leave her apartment. Uh, she had to have daily care provided for her. She was blind. But every day that we walked and visited her in her house, she had the biggest, most beaming smile on her face. And she spent her entire day praying for our church, name by name, everyone in the church. And in fact, she was always in a more joyous mood than I was. I felt ashamed when I left her house and also greatly encouraged that someone in her condition can so joyfully serve God with, with what he has given her to do. But lastly, I think it's important to see that, that Daniel was alive in the reign of Cyrus to remind you that the longer that God leaves you here, the more of God's promises you will get to see fulfilled. When Daniel was exiled to Babylon, I told, I've told you and we've mentioned a number of times, he had with him the words of Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah the prophet had told the exiles what God expected them to do, how he expected them to live as ambassadors in Babylon. We've talked about that. I, you know, he says, look, I, I want you to build houses, live in them. I want you to, to, to plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and sons and daughters, take, take, uh, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons, multiply there, don't decrease, seek the welfare of the city. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God was calling all of these exiles to be ambassadors, as we said. But you see, only a few sentences later, in that same paragraph, Jeremiah says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise and I will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Daniel did not return with the exiles. He stayed in Babylon until he died, serving King Darius or Cyrus, whoever it was he was serving. But he got to see God's promises fulfilled. You can only imagine when he was a young man in his 20s or 30s and he was serving under King Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylon had all the power in the world. You can imagine him wondering, like, how is this going to happen? How in 70 years' time? Are we going to be sent back home? I know the Lord has promised it, but, but it just seems so far away. And Daniel was there when Cyrus came and sent the exiles back. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God who keeps his promises. And the Lord has promised one day to return and bring his exiles, us, home again. It's been 2,000 years but the cool thing is, believe it or not, 
there are going to be Christians alive who are going to see it happen. It might be us, it might be for another 2,000 years, but they will see it when it happens. And Scripture tells us that we will all see it. Scripture says that when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise first to meet him in the air. So every believer in Christ throughout history will see his return. Well, we return to the lion's den. When we left him last week, Daniel was thrown into the den. Why was he thrown in there? Well, on one level, he was thrown in there because his co-workers betrayed him. He was thrown in there for jealousy, sin, betrayed by his co-workers. But on, on another level, as we see all throughout this passage, he landed in that lion's den because the king had signed an irrevocable law. We see that again and again, that this law that King Darius had signed could not be revoked once signed. It couldn't be overturned. Scripture tells us here in this passage that, that Darius did everything he could. I don't know what it was, but even as king, he did everything he could to save Daniel from the den, but he couldn't do it. It was to no avail. And so Daniel, we see in verses 16 to 18, <clears throat> is sent, cast, thrown as an old man into the lion's den. A stone is, is placed over the entrance, and the stone is sealed with the king's signet. The king's signet ring sealing this door, sealing this stone, meant that, that no one could interfere to rescue Daniel from his fate. No one could break that seal. In other words, Daniel's fate was, in a sense, sealed. Now, it's interesting that we don't get a description. I kind of wish we did, but again, I, how do you argue against God's Word? But we don't get a description of the events that happen in the lion's den. We don't get a description of, of how Daniel felt while he was in there or what he sensed or what he heard from the lions. We, we only really get what happens on the outside. But you can imagine how Daniel must have felt. I can only imagine being, being thrown into this den, having a stone cover the outside, and having nothing, maybe, but pitch dark around you, and nothing but the sounds of ravenous lions. Just imagine that. He actually went through this trial. I, I can't even imagine how he felt. I mean, for, for all we know, and, and I would imagine this is true, his, even his friends, his best friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm assuming by this time, are probably all dead. He's fallen into obscurity. He has no one really uh, that, that cares for him. His friends are dead. The king can't even get him out. And if you think about it, if you're Daniel and you're in the den with these lions, why are you there? I mean, from your perspective, you are there in this den, in this darkness, surrounded by lions, suffering this fate because you were faithful to God. Because you didn't 
go against God because you didn't go along with the world. Had Daniel gone along with the world, he would have been spared. Christian, you know, we, we have no guarantee that if we stay faithful to God in this world, we will not encounter suffering. In fact, Scripture promises the opposite. Scripture promises us over and over again that we will suffer in this world, oftentimes because of our faithfulness to God. It's what it means to live life in exile. That's what happens to those in exile. Notice, though, before Daniel gets thrown in, how God uses really the the most unlikely source, it seems, to bring words of comfort and encouragement to Daniel when he needs it most. Here he has no friends. All he has is a pagan king who who does care for him and, and like him and believes him to be a faithful worker, doesn't want to see him die. But this king is a pagan king. This this king does not know Daniel's God. And furthermore, he just enacted a law that, that people should worship him and him alone. So he's actually very far from Daniel's God. And nevertheless, Daniel uses him, this, this pagan king, Darius, to say to Daniel, as he is handed over to the lions, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Amazingly encouraging words coming from this unlikely source. Christian, you never know. You never know who God might use to strengthen your faith just at the right time when you need it most. You never know as a Christian how you might be used just at the right time with just the right words to strengthen a brother and sister who needs it most. We see this kind of strengthening all throughout Scripture. David, David was had, had just gone through a horrible trial and was about to go through another horrible trial. And in this trial sandwich, if you will, right there in the middle, right when he needs it most, his best, best friend Jonathan comes out of nowhere, finds him, and Scripture says that he strengthened his hand in God and then left. Mordecai. Mordecai, who encouraged Esther at just the right moment by saying, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for just such a time as this. Onesephorus, who searched unceasingly through the dungeons of Rome to finally find Paul sitting alone in that dungeon. And Paul says that he was so thankful that Onesephorus found him and refreshed him when he needed it the most. My mom, actually. Uh, My dad became a Christian at age 28. He and my mom were the same age. My mom did not uh, come to faith until 30. So for two years, uh, my dad was a changed man and was talking about the Lord all the time to my mom. And, uh, And my mom would oftentimes, you know, kind of grumble about that. She didn't really like all of this talk about Jesus and the Bible, she was tired of that. She, she wanted him to just give up this whole thing. However, one day my dad was at work, and I didn't ask him this, so I hope I don't get it wrong, but I know somebody challenged your new faith. I think it may have been a Jehovah's Witness, but he'll correct me later. 
But somebody kind of heard that he was a Christian and, and came at him with all kinds of contrary beliefs and said, that's not really true about Jesus. This is really what it is. And, and he said he came home totally despondent and wondering if, if he went down the wrong road and, and what this was all about. And God used my mom, who was still a pagan in her sin, to encourage my dad to stay with his newfound faith. That's who the Lord used. Now notice that the king encourages Daniel and he spends a sleepless night tossing and turning at home. Darius, the king, spends a night in the comfort and luxury of his palace bed and yet spends the night without the Lord and gets no sleep. Daniel spends the night in a lion's den, surrounded by ravenous lions in the presence of the Lord. One scholar points this out. This shows us that true peace does not come from the possessions that we accumulate, but from the presence and favor of God in our lives. Darius probably had the worst night of his life. That's what it sounds like. How many bad nights can a king have? It's the worst night of his life, and Scripture tells us he he was in such turmoil that at the break of day, he ran in haste to the den of lions, that he cried out in a tone of anguish, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, why was Darius in such anguish? Well, I think one reason he was in such anguish is because he wasn't sure what he would find. I, I think, I mean, given, given his doubt that God would be even be able to serve him, and knowing that when a person is thrown into a lion's den, except for a miracle of epic proportions, that person's going to be torn to shreds. That person will be dead in the morning. And, and he wasn't, again, he wasn't sure if Daniel's God was, was even able to rescue him. D- Daniel, was your God even able to rescue you? I, I don't know. I don't know if he has that kind of power. Well, God was about to show Darius in the world that indeed he is able. And so Darius hears that morning That early morning as he ran to the tomb, when he was expecting perhaps to hear only the sounds of lions, he hears the best news he could have heard. He hears the voice of Daniel, alive and unharmed. But how? How did Daniel make it out alive? Well, it wasn't because of his own skill. It wasn't because he was able to leap up to the tallest boulder where no lion could reach. He was an 80-year-old man. It wasn't because he had weaponry with him. We see how he was able to do it. Daniel says that God did two things for him. He sent his angel, and he shut the lion's mouths. I like one Old Testament scholar. He says, not only did the king fast, but so did the lions that night. Now, did God use the angel to shut the mouths of the lions? Maybe. 
Maybe that's not exactly what the text says. The text doesn't say, God sent an angel and the angel shut the mouths of the lions. Now, God used angels to do many things. God could have used the angel to shut the mouths of the lions. But whether God used the angel or not, either way, Daniel is making it clear that it was God who shut the mouths of the lions. Maybe the angel was sent simply to be his companion for the night. Maybe the angel was sent to bring comfort to Daniel in the midst of the lion's den. The point is this, though, what Daniel had no power to do, God did for him. Why was he ultimately delivered from destruction? Well, we see here, first of all, Daniel says that he was found blameless in the sight of God. Now, we have to be careful here. Blameless does not mean sinless. In fact, Daniel admits in chapter 9, which we will see probably in November, (coughs) Daniel admits to sin in his prayer. No, Daniel was not sinless, but he was blameless. He was innocent of the charge that he had been accused of. He was not disloyal to the king. But we see, though, that Scripture says that Daniel was rescued because he trusted his God. We heard it read earlier, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. What more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. Who saved Daniel? God and God alone. How was Daniel saved? Through faith and faith alone. What else did Daniel have except for trust in his God? He had nothing. But you see, faith in the God who saves is all that a person needs for salvation. Friend, you are either going to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by the power of God alone, or you will have to face the judgment of God alone. There is nothing else. Notice that those who do not share Daniel's faith do not share in Daniel's salvation. The king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces. See, without God to intervene, those who face the same judgment as Daniel are not saved, they are completely destroyed. Scripture says it is appointed for a man to die once and after that face judgment. Scripture says that our God is a consuming fire. Scripture says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Friend, as you sit here today, are you planning on facing the judgment of God alone? Because one day you will die, and one day you will face the judgment of God 
Are you prepared to face that judgment alone? Wouldn't you rather face it trusting in the God who saves to save you from his own judgment? Notice what the outcome of Daniel's salvation is. We see it in verses 25 through 27. You know, even though we remember this account always as Daniel in the lion's den, and even though there are many sermons preached here and there, dare to be a Daniel, those kind of things. Notice here at the end when when King Darius sees Daniel come out alive, none of the praise and the glory goes to Daniel. Now, should we strive to have the kind of faith that we see exhibited in Daniel? Absolutely. Should we strive to be the kind of ambassador that Daniel has been? Yes. Should we strive to obey God rather than man like Daniel did? Yes, all of those things are true. But friends, you see, while we might want to strive to be like Daniel at the end of the day, Daniel is not the hero of this story. There is one hero of the story, and it is not Daniel who was saved. The hero of the story is the God who saved Daniel. And it is God who gets all of the praise and worship and glory, and Daniel gets none of it exactly as it should be. You see, at the end of the day, Daniel is not the hero of human history. Abraham is not the hero of human history. David is not the hero of human history. Paul is not the hero of human history. And you and I are not the hero of human history. There is one hero in all of human history. And you know, he began his life in a rather humble way. For the first 30 years of his life, he wasn't in the halls of power. He wasn't doing anything spectacular. He was basically an unknown man serving God where God had placed him, which was in the carpenter's shop of Joseph. But you know, his heavenly father wasn't finished with him yet. And so when he turned 30, his father called him to a different ministry, a public ministry, that would put him out before the eyes of the public. And he did many amazing things in his life, but you know the thing that he is most known for was the thing that happened at the end of his life when he was willing to give his life on a Roman cross. Why was he sent to die on that cross? Well, on one level, you could say it was because he was betrayed by his friend. But on another level, it is because the king of kings had signed an irrevocable law. A law that once signed could not be overturned. The law said this, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Another way to state that law is the wages of sin is death. Now he was no sinner at all. And so out of all of humanity, he of all people was the one person who did not deserve death. But he died anyway. And he died because there was another law signed, a law which was signed immediately after that first law, which said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And when the hero came to earth, he told everybody that he was here to fulfill that law. He said to them, don't you think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Daniel got one. I could get 12 legions. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? And so he went to the cross to fulfill the unbreakable law. His fate was, in other words, sealed Just think of how alone he must have felt as he was nailed to the tree with nothing but darkness surrounding him. Nothing but the sounds of fierce, ravenous lions. You can imagine how he felt, after all, he was only nailed to that tree because he was perfectly faithful to God. Had he gone along with the world, he would have been spared. But there were no words of comfort as he went to the cross. Unlike Daniel, who heard words of comfort from King Darius, he only heard mocking and scorn, and there was no angel to save him from his fate. God did not save him, but instead poured out his wrath upon him. And on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. But I am a worm and not a man. All who see me mock me. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. But there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. They open their wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. O Lord, save me from the mouth of the lion. But it was not to be. Not that day. Unlike Daniel, he was not saved from the mouth of the lion. He died on the cross that day. And he was placed in a tomb. And a stone was rolled over the entrance and sealed with a signet. His friends, the only ones that stood by him that day as he died on the cross, I would imagine spent the worst night of their lives that night. At the break of day, they ran in haste to the tomb. What were they expecting to see? Well, I'm pretty sure, because they were carrying the spices with them, they were going to find a dead man because they knew save for a miracle of epic proportions, that when a man is hung on a Roman cross, he dies and stays dead. He had predicted his resurrection, but was God really able to do it? Well, God was about to show the world that indeed he is able. And when they arrived at the tomb, instead of finding a dead corpse, they heard the best news they could have ever heard. An angel, standing by the empty tomb, proclaimed, he is not here, for he is risen, just as he said he would. Why was he delivered? Because he was found blameless in the sight of God. And for him, it means sinless. 
He was saved because he fully trusted that his father would not abandon his soul to Sheol or let his Holy One see corruption. Friends, the Lord Jesus is alive and unharmed. And unlike Daniel, who arose from the tomb to die again, our Lord arose never to die again. And because he lives, Christian, you and I live in him. And just as he shut the mouths of the roaring lions, so today he shuts the mouth of the roaring lion who rages against his church. Martin Luther says, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered, who made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Christian, because he lives, you and I will never be alone. Paul, while in prison, writing to Timothy right before he died, he said, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. They all deserted me. But the Lord stood by me. He strengthened me so that I was rescued from the lion's mouth. See, when our Lord went to the cross, he went as a lamb. But when he rose, he emerged the lion. And it is he who receives all the praise and worship and glory, not us. And that is just as it should be. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so thankful for this time of worship. We're thankful for this text, for how you saved Daniel and how you saved us. And we're so thankful that our Lord Jesus is risen and that we will be with him one day. We pray now that you would impress this upon our hearts that we leave here all the more glad for the salvation that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.